Well, Debbie and I showed up at Reengage about 10 years ago with a broken marriage. Uh, the good news is that Christ is taking our mess and turning it into a message. We pray our story will encourage you as you walk through a biblical plan for marriage. I was born in Dallas <clears throat> two months early, and that is the last time I have been early for anything. I have a younger sister. True. And growing up, we had a fun childhood. I rarely got into trouble, and we spent a lot of time playing outdoors. My parents took us to church some of the time, but we didn't talk about Jesus very often. My dad was very kind and cheerful and traditional. Together, we played with airplanes, we went camping, and we built things. My mother was not traditional, and I used to think about how different my parents were. She taught me how to cook and sew, but she also told me I needed to learn how to shoot a gun and fly a plane. She made me feel like I could do almost anything. One time she told me she thought she could drop me off in a foreign country and I would figure out how to get home. I'm one of seven kids. Uh, my dad traveled a lot for business, so we were basically raised by my mom. My dad went home, though, however, was verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive. One of the most vivid memories of my childhood when I was about 10 and my dad was standing on my neck with my head smashed up against the leg of the sofa. While my dad was on extended business trips of one to three months, some of my brothers and sisters kind of ran wild. I rarely got into trouble because I, I was kind of a good kid like Debbie. As a, result, as a result, later in life, some of my brothers and sisters... Their lives look like a wealthy version of the TV show Cops. If you can imagine that. Uh, their lives were marked by drug and alcohol abuse, uh, grand theft auto, homelessness, prostitution, felony robbery, um, multiple abortions, and divorce. So life without an earthly father and no belief in a heavenly father uh, led our family to destruction. John and I met in the second grade and we became good friends in junior high and high school. We used to walk home from school together, and since I was so tall, I walked down in the street and he walked up in the curb. <laughs> Debbie absolutely was the tallest girl in the second grade, and I was probably the shortest boy. To this date, I believe she was actually born five foot nine. And like she said, the day she was born was indeed the last time uh, she was ever early. Um, I think we have another picture from the seventh grade. There we are. Uh, Debbie's the tallest girl on the top left. That's where they put the tall people. And then I'm second from the right with the short people on the end down here. Second from the left, I'm sorry. So, yeah, that's us back in the seventh grade, back in the day. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, when I was around 12 years old, my parents announced to us, that's me and my sister, that they would be getting a divorce. My sister and I were totally shocked because we had never even seen them fight before. I remember feeling very awkward at school because I thought no one else had divorced parents back then. I remember for a while my family went to church until we learned that the pastor was an alcoholic. It was during this time my dad began to teach us that there wasn't a God and even if there was one, he didn't know you or care <clears throat> about you. My dad told us that if we wanted to get something done, it was going to be all on our own because no one outside the front door cared two cents about me. I began trusting in what I now look back and call the human trinity, me, myself, and I. 
Debbie and I continued our friendship through junior high school, and we wrote notes to each other. We didn't sign them by our name. We signed them, Your True Life Friend. By high school, my dad had become quite wealthy, and I can tell you with certainty, money does not buy you happiness. Our family continued to be far from God, and my dad continued to be absent and abusive. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I was 12 when I saw an announcement in our church bulletin for a confirmation class, and I asked my mom if she would take me. It lasted a few weeks, and there's where I made my commitment to follow Jesus. I can't remember when I first heard about the Lord, but I just remember always believing that God is real and he's there for me and he wants the best for me. Later, I found a correspondence Bible study in the back of a magazine. They sent my lessons each week. I studied and I filled them out and I turned them back in and I kept going to church. The week of my high school graduation and my 18th birthday, my mother died from cancer at 48. I can never finish. <laughs> Although it was a, a, a very sad time, God gave my wife great strength. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I love, I love you. In high school, I became interested in science and was a very good student. And during our senior year in high school, while on a date, uh, I knew that Debbie was the one that I wanted to marry. Oh, dear. She was standing in the moonlight wearing a beautiful lavender sweater and holding a football. <laughs> she was the only one I knew that could throw a perfect spiral for 25 yards. I was sold. Oh, gosh. Okay. Also uh, true. We continued to date through college, <clears throat> and we got married when we were 22. I was attracted to John's personality. He was an entrepreneur, driven, creative, decisive, hilarious, and a problem solver. He loves challenges and excitement. And I was a little shy and not a risk taker at all. We were married in the church Debbie was raised in and began attending even though I considered myself an atheist. I used it as a way to make business contacts, if you can imagine that. I even became Sunday school class president as a non-believer. I was a total fraud. Um, early in our marriage, we had a lot of fun times. We spent time with friends on the weekends. We went to church once in a while, but more often we would spend our weekends at the lake. I rarely spent time in the Word, and I'd probably never heard of the phrase biblical marriage. My priorities were work, fun, John, and cleaning the house. She marked out what she was not good at. I was going to say that. Okay. <laughs> we bought our first house and started thinking about having a family, and that is when our first trouble began. When Debbie miscarried, I had nothing to comfort her with but my, my science. After being married for seven years, <clears throat> I had my first miscarriage. We were devastated. Five months later, I was pregnant again, and I started having terrible pain at work. It was the day after Christmas, and my doctor was off, so I went home and went to bed. Thinking I would be okay for now, I encouraged John to go to his meeting that night, and I said I would just rest. While he was gone, it began to snow really hard, and the streets became very treacherous. I didn't realize that I was beginning to have severe internal bleeding. I couldn't breathe, and I couldn't lift my arm to reach the phone to call for help. 
When John got home, he tried to call an ambulance, but they refused to come just over a pregnancy, they said. So he drove me to the hospital on the ice. I don't remember much from that night except fainting a lot and doctors running me down the hall and being rolled into the OR at 1 a.m. And I found out later I had an ovarian pregnancy and had nearly bled to death. The night I took Debbie to the emergency room nearly dead, I found myself wandering around the hospital and experiencing a loneliness I had never felt before. I walked into the hospital chapel around 2 a.m., and began to cry out to a God I didn't even believe existed. I call it my bargain prayer. Lord, if you're real, you will save my wife, and then I will follow you. God was faithful, and I was not. Um, afterwards, John took very good care of me, and all I had to think about was getting well. A year later, we had a baby boy. That's Johnny. Right there. <laughs> Um, 20 months later, then we had a baby girl, and she's in Denver right now. And then 19 months later, we had an almost 12-pound boy, but he's working our booth out at the fair right now. Uh, we were very busy and overwhelmed, but we were very grateful. In 1985, God sent a man named Scott into my life. He was addicted to alcohol, cocaine, and pornography. He would stop by my office from time to time, usually jacked up on something. One day he had a big smile on his face and I asked him why and he said Jesus and I told him to, this is the polite version, told him to get lost and never to come back. I'm so grateful that he did. <clears throat> his life was so new and so attractive that he had become a brand new person. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone and the new is here. He eventually invited me to a Bible study. I didn't even own a Bible. I went, and six weeks later, I was saved. I now had it all. Hot wife, great business, house in University Park, and Jesus. I had it all. I was very prideful. The old self had not died. I was still making it all about John. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. When the kids were young, um, there were many happy days. <clears throat> but I was still not intentionally following Christ. An example would be my great idea for conflict resolution. Since my parents never fought in front of me and my sister, I decided to make sure that our kids could see us fighting. That didn't work so well. So then I decided when we had conflict, I would just withdraw. And you can't have a fight all by yourself, I thought. And that was another bad idea. Neither one of us had had a loving marriage modeled for us, so no wonder we just didn't know what to do. But God had a plan for us. I just didn't understand it. I had no idea what it was. I, wasn't, I was not drawing closer and really not trusting God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. A huge recession in Dallas construction and very poor financial planning on my part led my business to lose nearly everything in the late 1980s. We nearly lost our house to foreclosure, nearly lost our cars to repossession. I actually hid our cars at my parents' house so they wouldn't be repossessed. My whole worth as a man and a provider for my family was shattered. My whole life was built on how I could provide, what kind of car I drove, uh, what my reputation was. It was I had no um, really um, 
value in, in Christ in my life. So it was, it was still all about me. And because of that, uh, Debbie had to get a job. We were broke. And leaving being a stay-at-home mom, she was hurt, and I had shattered her dream of taking care of our children. One night, I got really mad at John. <clears throat> I told him because of his inability to provide for our family, he was stealing our children's childhood from me. I just really wanted to be home. I know this really crushed his spirit for a long time. I was just angry at him because I knew I had to go back to work, but I later apologized. Well, as you can imagine, when she said that to me, it was like a knife to the heart. I was very unforgiving and became very bitter and very angry. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. I chose to do just the opposite. Every little thing she did or said, I used it as an excuse to say hurtful or abusive things to her. She and the kids were living in fear for the next time that I would explode in front of them. I discovered that the casualty of sin, the first casualty of sin is always relationships. I now realize that hurt people, which I was, hurt other people. We continued to fight and began a crazy cycle of hurtful words, long periods of isolation and withdrawal, sometimes weeks without talking at all. We would slowly begin talking and then we would um, make up and forgive one another. This went on for way too many years. We had no godly counsel. <clears throat> we didn't live in community with other believers. I didn't know what to do. I was so unhappy, but I knew I absolutely did not want a divorce because I had lived through one with my parents, and I vowed I would never do that to my own children. Those doors were locked. I was operating all alone, and the devil was attacking me from every angle. First Peter 5.8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We did start attending a Bible church. God's words began to heal our wounds, and our family life became a little bit safer. So we decided uh, to homeschool our children. Debbie spent all of her time doing that, and I spent all of my time working. I began to spend time, though, however, with some godly men, which many of them are here tonight, and the Lord began to heal my abusive heart. Those were pretty good years, but they were still plagued by seasons of anger, rage, fear, fighting, unforgiveness, slugging uh, my fist through a door. God, I know God wanted more from me. My anger and rage made Debbie and the kids fearful. My harsh words and critical spirit crushed them emotionally. My unforgiveness made them walk on eggshells around me. Our kids did eventually go off to college, and we found ourselves just the two of us. That's when we joined Watermark. We went through re-engage, and a noticeable change began to take place. Even though Debbie wrote, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, in the margin of the book. I don't know if any of y'all have done that. But fortunately, she has permanently misplaced that book. <clears throat> so... Even though we fought over the lessons and argued in the car in the parking lot, I don't know if any of y'all have done that, God's word was being planted deep in our hearts. We got deeply involved in community, and the Lord slowly continued to change us. We told people the ugly stuff, and they still loved us. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another, that you might be healed, because a prayer of a, of a powerful man, righteous man, is powerful and effective. <clears throat> Our home life 
was getting better, and we were now spending more time with other believers. During a Sunday service, our pastor, Todd Wagner, explained that he had given his wife a list of men's names and phone numbers that she could call if he was not leading her well at home. So that afternoon, I gave Debbie a list of men on a card. She looked at the list and said, John, these first four guys are just like you. (laughs) So she marked them off, and she put her own names of men on there and their phone numbers. Uh, Many of them are here tonight as well. I did eventually need to use it. This actually turned out to be a huge help. Having other believers speak truth to us made a big difference. Community's not just friends you hang out with. It's people who you intentionally do life with and you share God's word. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Reengage taught us to be humble. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less. We honor Christ by honoring our spouse. Changes didn't happen overnight, just like our marriage did not get wrecked overnight. Real men don't live in isolation. They run with other men of honor. They become servant kings, warrior kings for their families. I have a whole row of warrior kings in front of me here that I run with. My wife always wanted me to lead our family, and I can now say that I'm doing that. Men, I encourage you to become the spiritual leaders of your family. Begin to pray with your wife, just not at meals, not just with the kids, but each night before you go to bed. Like most empty nesters, we remodeled our house when our children left. But more importantly, God has given us the opportunity to remodel what a godly marriage looks like to our adult children. Um, Matter of fact, about five years into this remodeling to our adult children, he gave me a Father's Day card. Mm -hmm. And it said, Dad, thanks for loving Mom. You're the best dad that a son could ever want. Christ has taken our 41-year-old marriage from a two, I think she's got a sign, to a nine. Ta-da. Yes. Hurts continue to be healed. Our marriage verse is Joel 2.25. It says, the Lord promises to restore all the years that the locusts have eaten. Our marriage crop was eaten uh, to the ground, and he's totally restored it. Many things have been restored, including my relationship with my earthly father who became a Christian at age 92. He told me he loved me for the very first time in my life that year and that I was a good man just a year before he died. Regardless of what has occurred in your marriage, uh, Jesus is the answer. Of course, we still disagree and we argue sometimes. But now we keep short accounts with each other, and for us that's huge. We quickly ask for forgiveness, and we quickly extend forgiveness. None of us here have marriage problems. We have Jesus problems. If you'll put Christ in the center of your marriage, he is the glue. And you hide his word deep in your hearts, 
You dive into community and become fully known and lock the doors that lead to divorce and separation and just throw the keys away and know that you're committed. You allow God to change your spouse and invite him into your circle to change you. My husband is still an entrepreneur, driven, creative, decisive, hilarious, and a problem solver. <laughs> he still loves challenges and excitement, but most importantly, he loves Jesus. We pray that our story has given you hope and comfort. I can't wait to spend another 30 years with my lovely bride, Debbie. She indeed is my true life friend, and I love you. Thanks for letting us share. Thank you, John and Debbie. Gosh, their opening line, just the first paragraph was, hey, we showed up. The marriage was not in a good place, but we knew the church was a place where we could find hope. The second thing was they, they recognized that the good news in any marriage is just understanding that relationship with Christ and that he really is the, the game changer in it all. And you know, I loved how you said, hey, how God can take a mess and turn it to a message. You know, were you guys here on Sunday and you heard the Marriage on Mission sermon? If you didn't, go online and listen to it. But I mean, I can tell you that this is a marriage on mission. The Wingfields are on mission wherever they go. They actually own a business storm dorms and they work at the state fair every year and they're they're selling a product to protect people in the event that there's a tornado or a storm what i think is so cool is if you ever encounter them at the state fair you're going to you will hear about ways to protect your home in the event of a storm but you're going to hear more importantly of ways to protect your life if you if you know that of jesus christ and so it is it's fun and it's a privilege watching you guys love the Lord and care for each other the way you do in a way that your family is going to be a beneficiary of it. And so thank you both very much. Hey, if tonight's your first time with us, we're going to ask you to please come down front in just a few moments and join my husband and I for what we call newcomers. We're going to tell you a little bit more about reengage and what it would look like for you to take the next step and help answer any questions that you might have. If you've already been to newcomers, we're going to ask that you go to one of our open groups. The slide should come up shortly. There it is. Maybe there it is. 210, 211, and 212. And these are classrooms that you can find right outside this door. Take a right. Go across the skywalk. You'll see the signage. Go to any one of those three rooms. And if Spanish is your native language, we'd love to invite you to join us in room 207. Last week, we forgot to announce that we had a new group start last week. Team Iyaramindi started last week, and this week Team Kamo is launching their closed group. So give it up for those two groups. Yeah. And so the Kamo's group will be meeting in room 307 across the skywalk, go up the flight of stairs to the third floor. And hey, we are so glad that you've given us your Wednesday night, and we do pray and hope that we serve you well. So let's make it a good night of being all in and pursuing oneness.